0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Full Cast and Crew podcast. I know it's been a couple of weeks since I last did my review recommendation on the brilliant TV series, The Bureau. I'm back this week to try and talk about my other favorite television series of all time, the Italian series, Gamora. I say try and talk about it because as much as I've loved immersing myself in this incredible television series over the four available seasons that I've watched over about the last three months, I still find it really hard to figure out exactly why it's so good. And I'll try and address why that might be in the course of this brief conversation. But by way of background, if you're not familiar with Gomorrah, it covers some familiar ground. It's the story of mobsters, in this case, in the city of Naples in, it- in Italy, involved in the drug trade and internecine warfare with various clans and factions, uh, starting with the Savastano family, which in season one is headed by Pietro Savastano with his wife, a close number two, and their playboy, out of shape, ne'er-do-well son, Gennaro, uh, rounding out their immediate family. The Stavassanos control the drug territory within an area of Naples and specifically around a housing project, which in real life is known as Le Valais, or was known as Le Valais, or the sales. It's an incredible architectural structure of kind of an unforgettable silhouette when you see it and the practicalities of the real physical location. Are used to jarring an incredible effect throughout the entirety of this series. The locations are just amazing. Uh, real life filmed on the location, with some of the apartments in the internal uh, sequences. You know, obviously, must have been built on sound stages. But a lot of the exterior shots and a lot of the action outside takes place in and around Naples, and specifically in and around this housing project, which is notorious and infamous. Uh, for the way in which its design sort of created an unfortunate kind of prison like many housing projects do walling off its residents from the rest of the outside world, creating illicit tunnels and uh, walkways um, and dangerous corners and unlit areas and corridors. It's just, it's a stunning location, which is used to stunning effect. So one of the reasons why I kind of struggle to talk about why I love this series so much is, you know, we've seen this before, right? Like, I personally have gone down the rabbit hole in the nonfiction world of reading a tremendous amount about crack cocaine gangs in New York City, for example, during the 80s and 90s. And I've read 10 or 12 books that uh, cover a variety of the inner workings of these, these gangs, which are importing cocaine, turning it into crack, Uh, selling it hand to hand, laundering the profits, and dealing with external pressures from the police, from the community, and from other would be rival drug gangs, right? Like, we've seen The Wire, we've seen The Corner, we've seen The Sopranos, we've seen Breaking Bad. You know, this is done to the nth degree. Like, Gangsters, drugs—we get it, right? So, what is it about this particular series that elevates it beyond, I think, easily all of those other series? The short short answer is, I'm not sure. I think the answer probably lies in a confluence of things, which I'll which I'll get into. So, on the one hand, I think it is a unique take on this very common subject matter, in in that it's extremely insular, like there are very few outsiders that we ever meet or explore over the course of the four seasons of the series. There are, you, there are no police that are trying to, you know, simultaneously track down the characters that we're following. There is only the world of the housing project. There is only the world of the drug gang and everything takes place within those almost claustrophobic confines. And, The focus on that over time, I think, gives this a real weight and power because your experience as a viewer ends up being kind of similar to the experience that a lot of people you follow in this series who, who start out as neophytes and newbies and innocent and pure individuals who, through contact with the drug gangs, end up getting involved and then their lives change. And these people find themselves doing things that they never would have expected themselves doing. I'm talking about horrible, horrible things, killings. And all of that feels extremely true to life in the way that it's played out in the series. And from at least my reading in, this, in, the, in the area, you know, it's pretty true to life. I mean, the things that violent drug gangs do to preserve turf and territory is far beyond the stuff we see on television. It, re- it really is. You know, and the reason that you don't really see that stuff on television is because the realities of it are too jarring and off-putting to put into a dramatic context of a series that's kind of trying to entertain us as much as it's trying to shock us or overwhelm us from time to time. So if you think about a show like The Sopranos, I mean, most of those major characters survive the entire, you know, 10 seasons the show is on. You know, I understand people drop off here and there, but I mean... I think David Chase made a decision like we're going to follow these group of guys and most of these guys are going to stay alive. You know, I think it was such a big deal. Like I think when Adriana finally got killed in the Pine Barrens episode, brilliant episode directed by Steve Buscemi. I remember the shock of kind of losing a main character and she wasn't even really a main character. But I think in that season she kind of had become one. You know what I mean? So you don't get that in this series. In this series, in the drug game people are shot and killed regularly people that you follow people that in your construct of what following a dramatic series means you expect and anticipate to be around for quite a long time. So on the one hand, I think focusing on the gangs themselves, letting the conflicts be true to what would occur uh, is part of the power here. Now this whole series is based on a very notorious legendary book by Roberto Saviano. It's his book, Gomorrah, which was his debut work of nonfiction. To read the Wikipedia entry, he uses literature and investigative reporting to tell of the economic reality of the territory and business of organized crime in Italy, in particular, the Camorra crime syndicate and of organized crime more generally. And very famously, when this book came out, uh, he was you know, sentenced to death by the mafia clans in Italy. And he's apparently had to live in some form of hiding ever since, Uh, which I don't know if that's sort of drummed up to sell books or exactly true. But this book, which uh, frankly, I'm about two thirds of the way through this. I've tried to read this so many times because I'm so interested in the subject matter, but I really find the book hard going. And I'm not sure if that's the result of just an unfortunate translation or the youth, you know, of himself at the time that he wrote it. It looks like he's only 41 now and the book came out 2006. So, you know, maybe it's the youth of the author at the time, but it's very disjointed and fractured. It's it's, It's not an easy read and you don't really get a lot of the types of juicy details and things that you're used to in inside story nonfiction books, but Having watched all four seasons of Gomorrah and knowing that this is the source material and reading the book now after the fact, I'm even more impressed that the filmmakers and the creative team picked out really subtly, almost minuscule details and then magnified them within the, the life of the series to take on such power and significance. It's almost as if in the oft cited here. Uh, analysis of Stanley Kubrick, who said, you know, you don't sit down and write a screenplay. uh, You write a novel and then you adapt that novel for a movie because the power of the novel will be something that you imbue fractured scenes that you're writing out with, even if you're unconscious of doing it. And the act of doing that produces something akin to higher filmic art than if you just sit down and try and obey the rules of, you know, screenwriting 101. So in this sense, too, you know, this is not a retelling of the book, these four seasons. This is a essence, a capturing of an essence of the book. And a lot of the names are used and a lot of the events and sequences are used. But it's not a faithful adaptation of a book. It uses the book stylistically um, and 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 veers wildly off into, de- into various sorts of territories. So. That's a little bit of the background of where we are. You can watch, I believe, at least the first two seasons on Amazon Prime. And the second two seasons have been problematic to watch because, to diverge for a second, they were distributed by the Weinstein Company. And so when Harvey Weinstein found himself in the legal jeopardy that has caused his personal and professional demise, this seems to be one of the products that the Weinstein company was distributing that foundered on the rocks and has taken some time to settle. I've read that HBO Max, the new HBO digital streaming service would be competitor to Netflix and Amazon has secured the rights to to air seasons three and four. Uh, I don't know when that's happening. I haven't checked in a while. I finally gave up and I just ordered the region B Blu-ray discs. I have a region-free Blu-ray disc player, which everyone makes fun of me for actually buying Blu-ray discs, uh, but I don't care. So I I was able to watch them regardless of the fact that they're not available, at least here in the States. So that's how I watch them. I believe maybe by the time this comes out, I don't know, maybe they'll be available on HBO Max. I also just saw that season five was just announced by Salvatore Esposito and Marco Damore, who play the two main protagonists in the series. And it was supposed to have begun filming in May of 2020, but of course the pandemic doing what it does sounds like that was delayed and maybe it's just getting underway now. Uh, Curiously, it looks like Chiro, who is Marco Damore's character will be back based on the way that these two actors announced season five, which would be kind of a surprise and interesting to see how they do that. I'm gonna try not to give away too many spoilers here, but at the same time, I'm really doing this episode to encourage you if you haven't watched this, to just seek it out and let it kind of sink in and see if you're it's something that you're interested in. But I'm also doing this for a few of the folks that I see on Instagram are Gamora heads the way that I am. And trust me, if you get into this series, you're going to become as obsessed as some of us are. So Brooklyn film fanatic, I'm talking to you. Shouting out at big feet, Pete 77 at Gamora underscore TV at SK 55 NER. You guys all get this, what I'm talking about. I know from your comments that you've posted on images that I put on Instagram that you feel and felt this series the way I did. Part of this is just trying to, even though we don't know each other and have never met, talk to you about what it is that I love about this show and try to figure it out. Help me figure it out. Help me on Instagram if you can, because I'm still trying to untangle the mystery of how this thing works. So any help, much appreciated. You 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 all know what I'm talking about <laughs> when I talk about this show. So just a little bit of word on the cast I mentioned. Pietro Savastano in season one, but really the, the core component is Gennaro Savastano, who undergoes probably the most remarkable transformation I think I've ever seen a character undergo over the course of a season in a TV series. Because when we meet Jenny, he's a layabout, rich, pampered, spoiled Italian baby, like with his mommy bringing him breakfast, you know, even though he's in his 20s. He's laying around in his underwear. He's got gold chains. He's out clubbing. He's falling in love with the wrong girl. He's just, he's a dunderhead. He is not someone who's going to take over a criminal enterprise and run it successfully as his father has done. He is not a figure to fear. His mother, knowing this, sends him on a fool's errand. And when he returns, he is unrecognizable. I mean, literally to your eye, he's slimmed down. He has a Mohawk. He is a completely different person. And Salvatore Esposito, who plays this character, is such a phenomenal actor to be able to pull off this transformation. I mean, you, you, it's one of many things, I think, in every series, every season of this series, there have been moments where my jaw drops and I can't believe what I've just seen. And, you know, If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably the same way I am. You've seen pretty much everything there is to see. It's pretty hard to shock and surprise me, even in a series I really love. You know what I'm saying? I know what they're telegraphing, regardless of how they do it. Even in a series as thorny and complex as The Bureau. Like, you can see where things are going because you've watched a lot of movies and TV, and you know the tropes and the conventions, and you know the arcs of characters. But I can tell you that in Gomorrah, in every single season there have been moments where I literally can't believe what I'm seeing. And the power to surprise and shock me is part of the other reason I'm continually impressed by this television series. Some of these moments, you who know Gamora will know exactly what they are without me giving them away. Uh, Let's just say Chiro's daughter, Uh, the concluding scene of season four at the airport, between Patrizia and Gennaro, uh, on and on, right? These moments are indelible and they are shocking and true to life. They feel real. They feel like what would happen, not what would happen in a TV series about what happened, if that makes any sense, okay? Salvatore Esposito, Marco De More plays Chiro, who kind of is our protagonist through season one, He's an orphan, he has nothing, he is of this housing project. And it is really through his eyes and his rise and his, his Machiavellian-like ability to manipulate people and situations and survive at great odds that we come to learn much of what we learn over many of the subsequent seasons. He is an incredible character And some of the season one, season two stuff between him and Jenny and some of the other ones, I mean, in a way that I talked about the Bureau being so French and that the Frenchness of the Bureau is one of the great things about it. The Italianness of many aspects of Gamora are one of the things that I think you'll find kind of amusing and sort of stylized. There's a way in which Jenny and Chiro stand nose to nose when they're sort of threatening each other. And it's this kind of alpha male, a very animalistic kind of like... Lord of the jungle, you know, who's going to back down first. I mean, they look like they're about to make out in the most sort of obvious analogy that I think the filmmakers are are trying to make is this tension between males and violence and sex and all of these kinds of things. But once they get kind of beyond that, the, the, the seasons really find an almost cinematic heft as we go on. And really in seasons three and four, the filmmaking gets so good. And it's such an obvious jump from where we leave off at the end of season four in *Gomorrah* to 000, which is what I'm going to talk about in my next episode, because that's also made by the same creative team. There's a lot of continuity there. And a lot of the storytelling and the filmmaking that I think we arrive at in season four of *Gomorrah* is really continued and honed and even more brilliantly and more beautifully perfected and more powerfully uh, done in 000, which is kind of the third part of this trifecta of films and, and and TV series that I really kind of fell in love with during this pandemic. So there are many, many other amazing people in the cast. I also want to just mention that unlike a lot of mob, mafia, drug gang things, yes, we're in a world of men, but the female characters are incredible. I mean, from Pietro Savastano's wife to uh, Patrizia to Chanel, there are these these incredibly complicated female characters who who, yes, they do have to navigate the man's world and the man's environment they find themselves in, but they do so with such cunning and intelligence and not kind of stereotypical, you know, wily female stuff. There's not a lot of using of charms here. There's no sexualization in order to beat, you know, the dumb guy at his own game. It's, it's really intel- intelligence. It's, it's intellect. It's street smarts. Uh, And it's pain, it's internalized pain as manifested on all of these characters' faces. And when I'm talking about pain on faces and incredible acting and Gamora and the wonderful and multifaceted female characters, I have to just land for a moment on Christiana Delana, who plays Patrizia. Uh, Delana is such a phenomenal actor and really takes center stage in the later seasons. Um, I think she first appears in season two, three, but really season four is really all about her. And she's such a phenomenal actor and has so many moments with this life that we don't even see before we meet her in Gomorrah. We know the details of it. We know that people close to her have been killed by the drug gangs. We know that she's responsible for her brother and her sisters. Um, We know that she ends up becoming the messenger for Pietro Savastano after he uh, tries to regain power in later seasons. It infuses her character and suffuses every scene that she's in. There are scenes in the last season with her that uh, I'll just always remember. I mean, they're phenomenal. There's a, a love scene between her and her eventual husband that is so complex and so heartbreaking because the difficulty that she has experiencing and expressing feelings and love are writ large on her very expressive face as she's in the act. And it's such a interesting way to play a scene like that. And incredibly vulnerable, always in service of the character, always in service of something incomplete in the character that is it a hole in these people's souls? Is it an addiction to this lifestyle? There are, there are scenes in seasons three and four. There's a, there's a young drug gang who fly around Naples on scooters with long flowing coats, I saw one description of them. Said they look more like hip baristas than they do uh, drug dealers. But the the imagery, the freedom that you can feel the wind in your hair, you can feel the chill of the late summer nights. Um, it's it conveys this addicting nature of the life, the lifestyle. And Patrizia is such a an incredible character who will leave you <laughs> with one final moment that I don't think you'll ever forget if you get to the end of season four and it's, it's stunning. She is stunning. So a particular shout out to Christiana Delana and her work in this series, because it, it really, really is, is one of the, you know, it's the, it's one of the three great performances in, 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 In the whole series, I mean, there's many great performances, but it's kind of the she's the third main character between Chiro and Jenny, it turns out. And I can't say enough about her. And I think you'll really give yourself a treat to stay with the series long enough to to meet her and to follow what happens and, and where it goes, because you won't regret it. So the the cast of the series will will stay with you as you watch throughout. The music, wow. So the music is done by an Italian collective called Mocha Delic. And the music in Gamora, I think is gonna haunt me forever. I mean, it's just so stunningly beautiful. When Salvatore Esposito and Marco DeMoria announced that this the start of season five shooting had begun, uh Salvatore used a word that I've been thinking and waiting to record this because I kind of want, I finished it a couple of weeks ago and I wanted to wait to see if I arrived to somewhere and being able to actually use words to try and describe this to you. But he used a word that that for the first time I was like, that's what it is. That's the distillation of the thing I'm responding to. And the word that he wrote, which was about how he and and Marco Demore's character Chiro were linked forever through experience, the word he used was melancholy. And I think that is the thing that we deal with here. If there's an essential kind of mood that goes through this series and, and certainly through the music, it's a melancholy. And the use of melancholy and the use of that, that vibe is... Somehow, one of the things that is so moving about the series, and I don't mean just because the music is kind of engineered to push those buttons in your brain and in your heart, but there's a melancholy to the way the characters follow what even some of them realize is this ruthless progression to jump off the cliff that they know will end in devastation for themselves and for their families the choices that they make are born out of economic inopportunity and the the stakes for them are worth the risks that they take but because it's italian there's so much awareness of that going on underneath the faces of the actors and the and the way the film the the scenes are filmed and and Mokadelic's music oh my god it's one of the greatest soundtracks to to a TV series I've ever heard. It's music I listen to all the time now um, because these themes, and it, these themes are consistent throughout the life of the series. The way the themes are used becomes such a piece of familiarity to you that you know exactly where you are. And it is that melancholy, that word that Salvatore Esposito so perfectly used, it is that melancholy that I think is the underpinning of all the brilliance of Gamora. because it's sad. Ultimately, it is sad. It's sad to watch people who feel that they have no other options, economically, fall into this, this by far most viable economic option, right? So you secure a kilo of cocaine for whatever it is, right? 33,000 euros a kilo, you step on it, two, three, four, six times, so that you end up with two, three, four, six kilos of cocaine. You bag those six kilos of cocaine into individual serving portions or crack, and you now have sextupled your money, right? Your overhead is fairly low. You have a piece of territory. You have a clientele base that is pounding on the door 24-7. Uh, You are in a housing project where the police are fairly content to let you kill each other, sell drugs to each other, prey upon each other. Just don't venture out into the streets uh, in the wider community. And you have a pit of snakes of people who are willing to kill because the financial upside is so vast and so much greater than any opportunity available to them in the immediate confines of where they're living. This is the same story if you go to Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, housing projects, crack gangs, rap, crack connection, music, story, any of the great kind of hip hop music of the of the 90s that that takes us inside this stuff. In a way, the series is about I hate to sound so woke, but it's really about economic inequality. And that's the driving engine here. And in later seasons, we get to see kind of, again, familiar territory where certain gangsters try to kind of go straight and try to. Uh, leave this behind to their credit, you know, to the credit of what they're trying to do for their family. They try to say I've had enough of that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be in these legitimate businesses. But of course, they're not accepted in the legitimate business world. And they're not accepted in polite society, except up to the point where someone has need of the thuggish side of their personality. And then they're those people, you know, with the right clothes and the right pedigrees and resumes are more than willing to embrace someone like Gennaro to do something that they are incapable of doing themselves. So again we've seen all this before but the way that it's played out and the investment that you have in these characters these anti-heroes everyone's really an anti-hero. I mean everyone does unforgivable unspeakable things. It's 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 hard to contemplate how you can end up caring so much about Chiro or caring so much about Jenny. Like When they do horrible, 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 horrible things and they put innocent people at grave risk, including their own children, and they know that they're doing it, the magic somehow of the series is that it makes you care about them. It makes you understand them in a three-dimensional way that I think is so moving and it's also so weird because then you yourself, as a viewer, are kind of having a little bit of the experience that some of the characters go through, right? You come in, you're rightfully kind of disgusted by things that some characters would do, but then you come to understand why they're doing what they're doing and how they feel they have no choice. And in that understanding, you've been kind of changed. You've been a little bit warped. And what's happening is the same thing that happens to these little kids who grow up in the sales and grow up in Secondilio and grow up in 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 Le and our children and have joyous little children's lives even though they don't quite understand the squalor in which those lives are taking place and the dysfunction right but as they get older it becomes more apparent what's going on and they make choices and those choices have consequences and that's the thing that i think the series is always so incredibly astute about so the themes that Mokadelic uses Throughout Gomorrah are just they're heartrending, they're beautiful, they're, they're suffused with that melancholy. And I think the music is such a big part of what makes this series special. Finally, where it leads, and by that I mean, this is a world, a cinematic world, that you can go down a rabbit hole. So the primary creative team, uh, just to mention them by name, Leonardo Fasoli, Stefano Bises, Roberto Saviano, Ludovico Rampoldi, Giovanni Bianconi are the key people involved with creating the series. The directors and the cinematographers of individual seasons or episodes are really also what makes this quite incredible. I particularly just want to mention the cinematography. Um, Paolo Carnera, Ivan Castelgrande, Vittorio Omode Zorini, Valerio Azali and Michele D'Atanasio. Gosh. Paolo Carnera particularly is the cinematographer whose work I think I respond to the most. He also shot five episodes of 000 which is also based on a roberto saviano book and it's also created by leonardo fasoli uh and and stefano solima who's also behind a bunch of other kind of offshoots about kind of uh crime in rome and in italy but uh, 000 something i'll talk about at the end of this uh but Paolo carnera is kind of the Uh, cinematographer whose work I think really speaks loudest in terms of what's special about the series. So one of the rabbit holes that I went down is Stefano Solima, because you, you know, when you, when you, when you get into these series and you're kind of waiting for, uh, you're waiting for things to watch and you're Uh, you're you're kind of trying to to stretch out the seasons because you know that you've only got so many to go and it's something that you really love and it's special, so you really kind of want to get into it. So Stefano Salima is responsible for a lot of pretty amazing uh, TV and I've tried a bunch of them. So first of all, 000, he's involved in that as a director. He directed two of the episodes and I think is involved in the creation of it. Uh, I'll speak to 000 at the end of this. He directed about 10 episodes of Gomorrah. He directed the movie version of Subura. A lot of what happens in these Italian things is there's a movie and then there's a TV series which will run multiple seasons. So for Gomorrah, the same thing exists. You can watch the movie of Gomorrah, which is a bit more, I think, truthful to the way the book unfolds. It's sort of more more of a clinical examination of the various business aspects. And it's maybe not quite so personalized as Gamora, the Siri, La Siri is, as they talk about it. Uh, Sabora is the same thing. It's really about kind of the move to turn a piece of waterfront in, in Rome into, you know, kind of a Las Vegas type area. And, you know, you similarly have, similarly have a cabal of crime and mob bosses who are supposed to pull together. But then of course, There's infighting. There's all this stuff that goes on. And it's kind of also about more about how Roman society is infiltrated and influenced by the the mafia, by the Camorra. So there's the movie, Sabora, and then there's Sabora, a series which is called Blood on Rome, which I watched. It's good. It's definitely no Camorra, but it gives you some of that. Uh, But it's a little more soapy, and that's not quite what I'm always interested in. There's a movie I'd very much like to see that Salima directed, which really isn't available yet in the states. It's called "A Cab: All Cops Are Bastards," which is a phrase you might be familiar with from the recent uh, uprisings and riots going on in the United States and around the world. That's a common phrase uh, that's being spray painted on buildings and is a part of the kind of "defund the police" movement. You can hear that shouted out a lot. Uh, that's a film that was directed by Stefano Salima. And one little side note into the realm of movies. So. I've always been a big fan of Sicario, the first film directed by my man, Denis Villeneuve. It's a great film. And I eagerly looked forward to watching, you know, Sicario 2 when it came out. And I remember watching it, and it sort of was kind of amorphous. It was sort of not very plot-driven, and it just didn't really... I don't know. It just wasn't the same as a movie directed by Denis Villeneuve, of course, because he didn't direct it. Stefano Salima directed it. But I have to say, after watching a lot of Salima stuff, after watching Gomorrah, after watching 000, all of a sudden Sicario 2 takes, it, it, it slips exactly into place. It's like a missing Lego piece that you finally found, and then you click it in and you go, oh, now I see the whole." If you look at it that way, as a piece of work of the, Type of stuff that Salima is interested in, the interworkings of government and drug trafficking and hypocrisy and personal commitment and freedom. All of a sudden, that movie makes a lot more sense than it did when I saw it as a sequel to Sicario. So he also directed that. Some other things that it leads to, which I haven't yet seen, uh, Mar- Marco uh, Damore directed a film about Chiro called The Immortal, La- La- L'Immortal. Uh, which is not available in the United States. I've gotten a couple leads. Thank you, Gomora TV Instagram account for pointing me in certain directions, but I haven't really been able to be able to watch it the way that I, I want to and need to watch it, which is I got to have it in the best possible quality. That's just a problem that I have. Uh, so that's a film that Marco, Marco De More directed. My expectation is it's a film directed by an actor, about a character that the actor is most well known for, it's probably some degree self-indulgent and a little roomy, but let's wait and see. Haven't seen it. And as I said, season five of Gomorrah is coming out soon. So I still feel even after talking for, you know, 35 minutes here, I don't know that I've actually been able to accurately describe to you what it is about this series that's so magical. And I know that there's probably no way to do that other than trying to convince you to watch it yourself. I'll just finish with this thought about Gomorrah. The credit sequence, the title of the film, I think also speaks to what's special about it. So what we're looking at when we finally see the title, Gomorrah La Siri, La Siri being Italian for the series to separate it from the movie Gomorrah, to which it doesn't have much connection. It's this piece of iron and it's and the words Gomorrah are etched into this iron, and it's there's rust, and and La Siri is in blood red lettering, and the rust is actually happening as we're watching it. And so what we're watching are these molecules of the iron decay and float into the air as the elements do their work on the source material. And it's this very brief moment, but as I've watched these series, I've come to find that that particular choice of images, that hyper close photography, where we literally see rust occurring in real time, that's what's going on to these characters. That's what's going on to the environment that the characters live in. It's the environment, the oppressive environment that is molecule by molecule extracting the life out of these people and this area. And it's their fight for survival within that environment and against those environmental uh, qualities that they're living in. That's what that kind of represents to me. And so that image, the music, the places that this series goes to continually surprise me are what make it so special. I mean, I just got done doing that episode about the Bureau. And I think in that episode, I said, you know, this has gotta be the best television series ever made. And I still believe that, but the emotional satisfaction of Gomorrah is greater. And I say that even as I'm bewildered because the emotional satisfaction is usually the melancholy and the sadness that these things have happened to these people. It's not triumph, you know, Um, the, the only thing that triumphs is the unrelenting forward marching progress of the drug business itself. Everyone else loses to one degree or another. It's just a question of how much and for how long. So to say that within that, I've been as moved by Gamora as I have by any series seems strange to me, but it's absolutely true. There are moments of profound beauty and connection within this degradation and destruction that I don't remember getting from any other television series. I will always love these characters. I will always love this music. Um, I don't know if I will go back and watch it all over again. I don't know that I'm going to read a lot about the making of those are two things I usually do with things that I really, really like. But this is one of those things, and you probably have this too with movies or books or anything that you that you really love. You just don't want to ruin it by knowing much about what happened behind it. I don't want to know that about this. It would be really weird for me to see Marco de More or Salvatore Esposito in something else. I know Salvatore Esposito is in Fargo right now. I, I can't watch that. I don't want to see him in another role. Uh, sorry, Salvatore. But it's just I'm still I'm still in the spell, as you can tell. So that's Gomorrah. That's my attempt as best I can to try and describe why I felt the way I felt watching it. Um and, and it's gonna end with pointing you towards 000, and it's gonna point me towards covering 000 in a subsequent episode. Because in a lot of ways, where Gomorrah leaves us, uh 000, which is a limited run series, so it also is based on a Roberto Saviano. I believe novel this time about the drug trade is also a stunning piece of cinematic television accomplishment. And it's an incredible accomplishment for the streaming service that produced it, Amazon prime, because it's a global production. It features a global cast of actors that you would never otherwise see in American television. And it is produced at the highest cinematic level and it also features an astounding soundtrack that is amongst my favorite uh so i'm going to talk about that in the next episode of full cast and crew and until then i hope you're staying safe i hope you're finding good things to watch be kind to each other be kind to yourself get plenty of rest and i'll see you here next time on full cast and crew